Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry Kaiser, they, them. I'm a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find me tweeting about my freelance work at Writer Vry, or you can find the other podcast I co host at Trashpot. And with me once again are Megan and Marion. Uh, Marion, would you like to introduce yourself first this time? Hi, I'm Marion. I have a channel called Marion V, where I upload videos on retro anime and related old stuff. And I also have a Twitter account that's Excedrin Marion. Uh, I'm Megan. Pronouns are she and her. I do manga reviews on the regular at my blog, The Manga Test Drive, at mangatestdrive.blogspot.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at brainchild129. So uh, we have finally reached the last set of episodes for Glass Mask, or rather we have reached the stop of Glass Mask, which I think is about as much as I can say. <laughs> it stops. <laughs> we uh, This time around we watched episodes 18 through 22, which is the end of the series. What did you think? As always, it was a ride. It was thrilling. It was sometimes frustrating, but I was never bored. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, in fairness to this series, I, I found myself thinking as it came to the end, you know, maybe that, that I was a little bit disappointed that there's not only is there, you know, no legal way to read the manga in English, there's not even really any kind of co comprehensive summaries that, that folks have put up, which I've kind of gotten to take for granted and it also left me wondering you know the only other series i've watched that are 22 episodes are series that have uh, had legendary financial difficulties or been unceremoniously canceled like lupin the third part one and samurai flamenco so i'm deeply curious about the production history of glass mask and wish we knew more yeah, about it's it because it's not like the production was falling apart if anything some of the direction and the animation on display in this section are some of the best in the entire series i mean more than the anime i wonder what was going on with the manga oh ah. like the manga is the one that that has a lot of hiatus that's a good point. I saw uh, on the, the Wikipedia lists a live action film version of Glass Mask that in a single film adapts the first 38 volumes of the <laughs> <Wow>. manga. <laughs> so I feel like that paints a picture. As much as this, this manga almost exists in superhero time, it also seems like it would be very difficult to do filler for. Paradoxically. Mm. Yeah. And... Speaking of the ending, I have found forums that, that discuss later episodes that I think were never translated. And mm. this ending, the anime ending, always makes me feel like I want more. But I want more in this anime format and not like the manga because I have read some stuff that, that has me like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you should... You should tell us these things, because, let's be real, we're not getting an English translation of Glass Mask. It's too long and old. And shoujo is a very, classic shoujo is a very hard sell in the English market. Unfortunately true. Well, I'm sure you remember that I compared this story to Daddy Long Legs. I mean, it's basically a Daddy Long Legs story. I uh -huh. mean, the, the, the romance, right? And right. In Daddy Long Legs, Judy Abbott 
falls for Jarvis Pendleton, who is a rich man who is much much older than her. While also have well, uh, without knowing, he's also daddy long legs, right? right? And mm -hmm. then towards the end, there's this big reveal that they they are the same person, right? <gasps> and in the manga, she Maya has already fallen for Masumi without knowing he is Mr. Purple Rose. And now I'm fairly sure that towards the end, there's this plan to reveal that they are both. Because, I mean, I suppose it makes sense. Like, if you reveal this before the end, like, what's the point? What, where did you go from there on the one hand? And, and on the other hand, well, I have seen this story play out many times before. I'm good. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm so, there's just no getting around the inherent power imbalance. Because, like, on um, on the one hand, I can see why if we put aside if we put the age difference in a little box and put it <laughs> over here for a minute and assume that that's not an issue, I, I can see why it wants to put off that reveal because theoretic you know they're getting to know each other theoretically quote unquote as equals where the scenes Maya has when she at the cabin are just oh disturbing god. this almost like godlike aura she puts oh around him oh my god him. that that yeah. stretch of episodes it feels like a freaking gothic novel like oh little girl go up <laughs> to my dark quiet vacation home where you can practice your heart out all alone, away from your friends and your family. Maybe I'll come see you. By the way, that that also happens in Daddy Lone Lakes. Like he has a farm where he sends Judy to spend her, he does. Summer, her summer vacation. And there's there are even parts of the story where another boy invites her to have a vacation. And it's like on her part, it's innocent because she she's an orphan. She never had a family, and he's the older brother of her best friend and all the stuff. But you just know Beach was jealous, and that's why he told her <laughs> no, and that's why he sent her to her summer home. And, uh... <laughs> it's creepy! I mean, I suppose, I suppose there are stories where you're like, okay, if I turn off my brain, I suppose I can watch this fantasy and enjoy this fantasy and not think of the huge power imbalance, but this type of story is not that story. <laughs> like, it's always right there. <laughs> Yeah, and even without the fact that she's, you know, A, a child, and B, much, much younger than him, there are so many layers. Like, there's the worshipful element of how she sees Mr. Purple Rose. There's the fact that he controls her career and, can, you know, continually uses that for leverage to protect his own emotional insecurity. And the fact that she's in no position to understand or criticize him for his bullshit except in a very childish temper tantrumy way it's so upsetting I to know, watch it's like there's one yeah. moment of decency between them when they have the conversation where he legitimately asks her why did you get into acting in the first place and it would be like a lovely scene if not for the fact that it came right after him basically manhandling her in the hallway demanding that he respect his authority and, of course, right afterwards, he goes back to his creepy uh, double identity. Oh, I have to be a jerk because I must hide my true feelings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, there was a point there, but you didn't know how to do it that way. But, it, mm -hmm. we, we get yeah, it as, like, in a vacuum... Uh -huh. I was no. We get it, finally about, get about as close as Maya's going to get to finally putting together the pieces between Hayami and Mr. Purple Rose. 
with him being extremely inappropriate in an awards ceremony. Do not dance with 16-year-olds. Uh -huh. Do not! Do not do this thing. And it, like, I feel like the lobby scene, if it, if this were about an intergenerational friendship or whatever between them, that, that scene in a vacuum is almost kind of nice. Because, you know, it, like, it sh he is actually showing interest in her as a person, not the figure of, like, the, the freedom he can never attain or a pure young feminine soul. Like, he, the pedestal he puts her on is upsetting. Yeah. And when I look at the at that scene, the dance scene, it fully hits me how much the age gap is part of the appeal rather than something mm. that's there. I mean, that romance is not meant to be appealing in spite of the age gap. The age gap is very much meant to be part of the appeal. The fact that she is a child and he is experienced and, and knows about the world and he can support her financially and solve all her life problems or whatever, that's meant to be the And appeal. she's a child who mm -hmm. can only dance with him on her tippy toes, which is an incredibly apt visual metaphor, but... Ugh. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's even a scene with Sakura Koji that I never noticed this before, but I notice now that he is like, mm -hmm. I can do anything for you, Maya when she is uh the summer vacation or whatever the fact she was and it was be it hit me how much it was it was money in that moment like he can solve her problems the way an adult can and like he's not meant to but that's like shown as a weakness mm -hmm. like he laments yeah. that he's not, not able to do that for her and like you're a kid and then there's also that scene with her secretary that's like, why, why don't you show her your um, affection as Masumi or whatever? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not even legal, but go off. <laughs> I, I get kind of, in this last stretch of episodes, I kind of got some similar vibes to when Ikuhara was directing Sailor Moon and just hated <laughs> Mamoru, like grudgingly including this thing, but in having things like, like Mayumi in the car being like, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm 10 years older than her. And then like really emphasizing the height difference in a not appealing way during the dance scene. Like I applauded quietly to myself. <laughs> uh, uh, going, I would say going back to it, putting people on pedestals. The only person who puts somebody on a pedestal even harder than Hayami puts uh, Maya on a pedestal is Maya putting Mr. Purple Rose on a pedestal. And th by this point in the show, it really started to bother me how much her confidence depends upon this concept of Mr. Purple Rose. It's not about her getting confident in her abilities. It's not her believing in the trust put into her by Tsukakage or all her friends or Sakura Koji or her missing mother. No, it's this mysterious man told me I am valid, therefore I can do anything. Yeah, it really undermines so many of the good scenes from earlier on in the series because it's not, like you said, it's not about this community she's she's built up. She's just, she's just so fragile except for the love of and support of this this mystery man. And it it's it it makes because like even it it makes it hard to even appreciate. Ah, oh, this is a wish fulfillment fantasy where where you're doing your best and you have this benefactor who will bail you out of any trouble and you, you'll never have to worry about money even though you're also poor and noble which is boy sure a way to try to have your cake <laughs> and eat it too but but like the fact that yeah she doesn't know who she is if the, if he were to as he suggests like 
just completely stop supporting her in this way, her entire identity would collapse because he's been grooming her for two whole years. I always conveniently turn off my brain to that. Like, I'm aware it's there, but it's not there. I don't see it. I can ignore it. <laughs> you are a stronger soul than I. Because, like, I thought I'd be able to do that during the last stretch because it's annoying or whatever, but it's also a lot about all these other characters who care about her and, like, her ha- feeling going toe-to-toe with a Yumi, but it just gets emphasized so much as though she has nothing else here that it I feel like it, it starts to become an active weight on the plot. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it helps that I can make fun of Masumi because of all of all of those dramatic close-ups and dramatic gals. You know, the kind of thing that was a thing in anime in anime back then, but that kind of age hilariously and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that if this show was modern, I wouldn't be able to do that, which is part of why, which is part of why I like the 2005 version less. Like it, mm-hmm. it's more serious about that. Like it forced me to confront that the thing is there. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. That whole veil of history thing, where you hit something that's made before like 1990, and you're like, well, this is bad, but it's also old, and I like all these other things about it. So. Yeah, I, mean, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's the way they did shock back in the day, or or the day they emphasized certain emo- emotions that for us is too over the top nowadays, and it just comes across as funny. They, they have a real problem differentiating Maya's various emotions through <laughs> facial expression because she, she can never look not waifish, so she has a lot of dull surprise going on. Uh, you know, one thing I did end up wondering as as I was watching this last episode stretch of episodes is I think the place where they chose to end the story makes a certain amount of sense I'm very surprised nobody <laughs> died that's certainly I, a I, choice. I, I figure Ma, her biological mother was goner but nope she's just far away random hospital it's just dramatically anti-sir. blind it's just anti I mean I suppose <laughs> you don't mind spoilers do you no no it just ends too soon. She dies eventually, and there's a plot where Maya supposedly blames Masumi for whatever reason, and there's drama about it. Of course. And that's why he feels like he has to hide, has to hide his feelings even more, because now he hates me because, because she thinks I killed her mother. Oh my god. Or something. <laughs> If I didn't if I didn't hate that relationship for all the other reasons, I would hate how incredibly contrived it is at every turn. Like every time they they seem to make a little progress. Nope, I must be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, I read it on a forum. I don't know if that really happened, but I mean, it probably it did. In episodes, so I believe you. But in fairness, it's what is more contrived than melodrama and Glass Mask is nothing if not a melodrama. It's just sometimes there's bad melodrama that throws you out of the show at every moment like every time Hayami is on screen and then there's the good stuff which is ridiculous but you're so invested into something about it that you're long for the ride whether it's Maya's mother and her dramatically convenient blindness or at last the, <laughs> the, the, the rivalry between Maya and Ayumi coming to if not a head at least a peak yes. yeah, they- I do sorry good no, they, no, I just want to say that they really made Maja accept a TV job so her mother will see her. And bitch is blind. 
Oh they really God. did that. Well, she doesn't know that. <laughs> the dramatic irony. I'm dying of irony poisoning. Okay, but but speaking of Ayumi, my wife did wander through while I was finishing up the show, and and I I got to the scene where they're in rehearsals for uh, Miracle Worker, and and Maya and Ayumi walk past each other, and it's very crackling attention, and she's and she said, so they never date, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say there were points where I was just staring at the screen and like, and now they kiss. <laughs> I mean, there's such a big potential um, for the classic enemy to lovers. It's right there, the tension. And the most notable thing is that they never actually interact, that, that they never talk to each other like normal people. And still, their dynamic is so interesting, the way they communicate through acting. It's just, it's the best relationship. I mean, it's the best dynamic. I don't know if they have an actual relationship. I don't know if it counts, but it's the best dynamic in the entire show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was a little... On the one hand, I completely understand why they chose to... Why, why it's written this way to have the two parallel performances so that we can, you know, compare and contrast them as actors. But I was also really disappointed that we never reached another height like that moment when they were improving the scene from my worst nightmares <laughs> in the last batch of episodes. Like that was so absolutely crackling with energy. And like the scene, the scene on the stage after Maya gets her award is good, but it's not as like incredibly potent. And this is the end of the series. And I wanted one more taste of that. Well, there's something close. Like when they both had the revelation about how to portray Helen's realization of water and objects having names. <sighs> That oh, the parallels great. between that, between literally shocking yourself with a <laughs> oh water and getting blasted in the face with a water balloon. I mean, of course someone almost died to get to that she, point. <laughs> she got electrocuted, and she's fine. She's, she's fine. like, it's that's fine. It. And it's totally comparable to getting hit in the face with a water balloon. I mean, uh-huh. to, be, to be fair, I remember when I was a kid that I got out of the pool and I went and touched the radio. And I did get an electric shock. Like, I remember that feeling to this very day. So I'm like, okay, I suppose it's sort of realistic. I'm still alive. <laughs> Fair enough. That is a really good scene. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Because, like, the way... This show has such a talent for those intercut moments of of just, like, dr- dramatic comparison and the and the ratcheting up of the music and the like those are the really tasty bits of melodrama or the, like the bit in episode yeah. 19 like, where Maya's like every, I'm drawing energy from others and the inner cup between Sukakage and her friends and Sakura Kochi is almost like in DBZ when Goku's summoning his spirit bomb everyone give me your energy yeah it's <laughs> very good and then they put Sukakage and, and they put Sakura Kochi on a bus a literal bus it's a plane but like they put him on a bus for god's Poor sake you. <laughs> Especially when he finally gets his shoujo manga romance moment with Maya in the park, and she literally has that "Why is my heart beating so fast?" moment. Yeah, it's kind of <gasps> it's kind of upsetting that Maya is never there for him when it counts. Like it really drives home that this is not meant to be the romance you're rooting for, and it sucks because if the other if the other option is Masumi, <laughs> well, I mean, the best option for me is still Ayumi, but. Uh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Yeah, I mean, if we were to talk about this as as a r- structural romance, you have Hayami who only sees her as as a represent, you know, an idol and not her real self, and Sakura Koji who wants her to be a normal girl and doesn't respect the pursuit of her career. But then you have Ayumi who respects her as a professional, the yeah. only one who truly. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, even. I mean, even with Sakura Koji, that's, that's like a fixable problem. He's an actor mm-hmm. himself. They can work that out. But the other one, uh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can have him come back from America where he went to get serious about his acting or whatever he's doing. Speaking of America, it's very interesting for me that they use the Oscars as a way to elevate Helen Keller's role. Like, mm-hmm. they used Patty Duke, Duke's Oscar win when she was 16 with... And that's also the age Maya and Ayumi are currently on the show. I mean, at that stage of the show where where they get to perform Helen Keller. And then there's an award show towards the end, but it's the Oscars, the one, the one that's really meant to to put this on a like of, wow, this is their performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually did want to, because we touched on, you know, the miracle worker as sort of a deeply problematic work that that the show's been going back and forth on through the entire thing of this idea of you know disability as a challenge for able-bodied actors but i I did a little bit of reading and so on and i kudos also to my wife who knew a little bit more about the history of the miracle worker but you know the scene in question that uh that duke got an oscar for the the table scene that they referenced so many times in the show it got to the point where the the actors were actually physically hurting each other on stage and all of a sudden and um and you know the the scene in question is that at the halfway point of the play it's supposed to be a turning point in their relationship where uh where helen is like basically smacked around until she learns how to sit at a table and fold a napkin which to her doesn't mean anything because she doesn't have the concept of what manners mean or why she's being asked to do any of this. And and so it's just a matter of being punished until she does a mechanical response that's very difficult for her to know meaning because she doesn't regain language until the end of the play, but it's supposed to be a big, inspiring breakthrough. And it's, I don't think the show meant for it to be a metaphor for Maya's journey because it, it sees a lot of the physical abuse she undergoes as a positive mean toward an end, but it kind of grimly ends up being a, an interesting sort of parallel because there are so many things between her and between Maya and Tsukikage where it's, where it's just her being beaten and abused and subjecting herself to torment because I don't know, it'll help your acting in some vague nebulous way. Yeah, and that, that was grim. <laughs> they really take no pain, no gain to the next level. And mm-hmm. in case someone is interested, that scene, but for um, for the movie version, I think it's on YouTube. If anyone wants to see it, it's it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah. also, if anyone wants to read up on it, after she was seven years old and and learned you know language for the first time, Helen Keller became a socialist and feminist activist. Although she did support eugenics, so you know that sucks. Yeah, it was conflicting. And she, al- she also went to college. Uh-huh. <sighs> Speaking of, it, f- it fits right into that theme of deeply mixed bags, which, yeah. you know, is perfect for glass mask. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, I suppose those were other times, but... Eh. <laughs> 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 
it's I I did sort of rel you know putting aside the content and the con- and the, the the context of the play I did appreciate having this entire stretch being dedicated to one performance so so that we could you know see multiple aspects of it as opposed to kind of the one or two arc episode arcs that had been done up to, bef- to now yeah and I really like that the final performance was a double casting. I thought it was very fitting. Although I am kind of sad that we didn't actually get to see Ayumi act. We were sort of reassured of her talent multiple times, but they gave a lot of the actual scenes over to Maya's performance. Yeah, but I sort of call it the All About Eve effect when someone is too much of a genius. You can't show it too much because you will spoil the effect. Like, you can deliver every time. So I kind of understand that they, they don't really show much of Ayumi's performance. It's more of showing the reaction others have to her. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I mean, it's for me, it's a little more effective than showing something that might not be up to my expectations every single time. I mean, that's more likely to break the effect for me. Mm. The thing I found most interesting about Ayumi's arc in this stretch is what ends up bothering her it's not necessarily competing with Maya. It's not necessarily losing out on the award to Maya. It's when her mother kisses Maya on the cheek. Just this moment of affection, of this acknowledgement of greatness that her mother has never given her. I was oh. like, oh no, you can't do that to her. <laughs> and she didn't even see the place. She just conveniently walked in at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it's so... Like it's so deeply sad, and in the and because you know so much of the the idea that they're both acting as professionals seems to genuinely work for Ayumi most of the time. But it's kind of this cracking back of the facade that also she wants that validation and support, and it, it's a really great small little character note that I'll, that I wish we had more time to to dig into, honestly. <laughs> but the show is over. <laughs> Yeah, when she's talking about that with the old lady at her home, I really fell for her. When she like kind of kind of like breaks down a little bit, like my mom chose my mom chooses her, chose chose her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she has. I mean, you know, in in the great shonen legacy, she's the perfect. She, she's the technically perfect performer who can't who can't match up to that unpredictable, scrappy upcomer energy. And like that, there's a. I like that they went with a genuinely humanizing pain there. I feel like Glass Mask kind of sneaks up in you, up on you very occasionally with these, these quite human moments in between, like the the melodrama of Maya's mom being struck down by God with <laughs> blindness for not believing in her daughter. What the fuck. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, I suppose that level of drama was common in the 70s. Like, I haven't seen Candy Candy, but I have heard the plot. I remember when I was in elementary school, and I had a friend who was watching it, and, and she told me the plot, and I was like, oh, fuck, no, I'm not watching that. That's too much. I, I can't take so much drama, and nowadays, it seems like that's all I watch. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I, I I don't even remember if it happened in the show, but I I remember there was, I think there was a scene that was like, and then she lost her leg, and I was like <laughs> traumatized, <laughs> like what? <laughs> I don't, I don't even know if it actually happened, but I'm like I'm still like what? She has she was born with glass bones and paper skin. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> More than she breaks her legs. But it's also curious that the place they leave off, the place where they have to try to wrap things up, what's the next door? What's the next step for these two? Television acting. Yeah, I was left very curious about that because, like, not all stage actors translate well to, to television because it's a, a lot of times a question of big versus small performance and, you know, to an extent, we know that Maya will do well because she had that bit part in the movie that did so well for her. But also, a lot of her performances play very large. So I, I, I felt like it could have... I'm disappointed we didn't get to see some of the places that could go as a struggle for her. Mm. For me, it's very interesting that this is about theater acting, but it's a TV show and it's present with TV show techniques. And then the next test is TV show, and they're like, will, will the acting translate? And we have been watching them in a TV format all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the performances were adapted to the TV format, like all those close-ups to catch the, the smallest nuances of performances, the effects. It was all TV. Mm. And it's curious that the climax with TV, because I'm admittedly biased, I've not watched a ton of live-action Japanese television, but my understanding is it tends to be pretty slight. Like it, In terms of performance? Yeah, it's not exactly where you go for a challenge, it's where you go if you're an idol and you need to promote your brand, or you need to be a judge on a variety show, or... Mm. I remember watching a scene. I don't remember from which adaptation it was because, God, it has so fucking many. But it was a scene from an older Japanese adaptation of Lasmas. And it was a scene with Tukikage and Maya talking in the, in the hospital. And I was shocked at how normal it seemed. Like, where's the drama? Where's the screams? Where's the... I don't know. They, they were talking <laughs> like two normal people. And it was like, what? What's going on here? What is this nonsense? <laughs> I guess now that you say that, I do remember that fans of the uh, live-action TV Sailor Moon, the Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, uh, had a lot of trouble because a lot of those episodes weren't properly archived on any kind of tape or DVD because they were assumed to be uh, assumed as kind of disposable as live dramas. So I wonder if that would have been even more of a case back then. Which yeah, is pretty interesting that it's this next dramatic step because, but at the same time, you know, theater has prestige, but it doesn't reach as many people. Mm -hmm. neither one of them is really being archived at the time so is there a level of equality there hmm. or i guess in you know in this show draws so much from american dramatics at the there was that same kind of sentiment in the the second half of the 20th century that tv is where you went if you couldn't make it on the stage or in film i can't believe sukikage didn't die I'm just so stuck on that. <laughs> I totally can. I mean, uh, the Crimson Goddess is the ultimate goal. goal. That is the end of Glass Mask. And you're not going to blow that in 22 episodes. 
Yeah, I mean, she herself says that I can't die until I pass this role over. Like, my work here isn't done. I wouldn't be surprised if she, if she actually drops that the moment, like, <laughs> the Crimson Goddess leaves again. <laughs> okay, but her internal organs have to be, like, a soup at this point from the amount of time she's left at the hospital unadvisedly and then collapsed. <laughs> it is absurd <laughs> I mean she always she's only really realistic when it's convenient for the drama otherwise she's totally fine that's true that's also true she does kind of she floats in and out of the plot you know as needed I, I did think it was very sweet that she was she was there for Maya's performance although she's still kind of the worst if we're looking <laughs> at it objectively <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I mean, as far as abusive mentors go, I don't even hate her. Like, at least she's entertaining. I remember with the coaches in Attack Number One who were such huge bitches. Every time I saw them on the screen, I wanted to slap them. Uh, <laughs> I hate him so much. Like, one of the coaches' whole thing was that he was... An animal. He was so rude with the girls, and everyone were and the people were like scandalized. And the press came, and it was a whole thing. But the girls were like, "We need to train, and this is making us better players." So who the fuck cares or whatever? And it just went on and ah, <laughs> <laughs> ends, means, etc. Yeah, and there, I have to say that there's always something unsettling in seeing huge ass men hitting little girls. And they have such big power over them. I mean, I suppose it's the same with Tsukikage, but she she's always like she always has like one leg at doorstep at the doorstep. Sorry, at the death. <laughs> Sorry, I got this right. I just she's always about to die, so I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and she's entertaining. Like she has, she's she has this. I don't know this this drama about her that is entertaining to watch there's a scene uh, from i th there's a shot from i think it's sun and moon um that that's jesse in, in doing a, a cute little visual com uh, cameo as Sukikage, and that about sums up the energy there i think <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. i like i like how it doesn't matter when, yeah, I mean, for what year that the patient is, Tukigahe always looks exactly the same. Like, the 2005 version supposedly modernizes a lot of character designs, and she Badly. looks exactly the same. Like, it's timeless goth drama. Well, <laughs> why would you change such a classic look? Like, that is every goth girl's dream right there. <laughs> it's true. She's got, like, a classic, terrible elegance to her. Yeah, I mean, when she's not abusive, she actually see. I mean, it actually feels like she cares about Maya. Like, I don't know. I I don't know if I would go as far as to say that she loves her, but you can feel that she cares about her. So I'm like, I mean, it's it's not acceptable, but it still makes it it makes it more watchable. She cares, and she takes pride in her. Yeah. But I want to say, going back to the discussion about television, mm -hmm. it's it's curious that they build this up to the goal because so much of this show has been about the conflict between art and commerce, high art and low art. And I know at least in American culture, theater is held up as high art and 
TV is held as a low art. So Maya kind of stepping down to this baser art, if, even if it's simply to expand her skills as an actress, is, is interesting. Like, I don't want to quite call it a compromise, but it's something in that direction. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting that, um, you know, part of the implicit element of what makes theater high art is that highly regarded theater is exclusive and hard to get to and there's only you know there is a limited amount of this performance or space to see that performance whereas television can reach the masses which what we learn Maya is going to do kind of straddles that line because you know she's doing it explicitly so hopefully her it will reach her mother you know so that this art will will transcend the space of the theater, but also she's doing a historical drama, which is of course very classy and high and, and high art form for TV. Mm-hmm. And TV is also more accessible because you have reruns. With theater, if you don't catch it at the time, you're probably never gonna catch it again, or at least not with the same performers. Mm. It's true, like a. God, I wish that I wish that the show had kept going because you, you could do so much with that of the the fact that TV is is consistent and accessible but static, whereas you know once something is adapted to TV, it's generally speaking considered done for at least several decades, whereas theater is sort of infinitely malleable in terms of performance. Although the way Sukikage treats the the Crimson Goddess does sort of function a bit more like you would think of a film remake as as this sort of indomitable singular performance that what that you will give over to one person for the one time it may ever be done again mm. yeah i also wish it would keep going would keep going but i mean it, it happens two times now whenever i finish the show i'm like i need more and then i try the 2005 version and then i reach a point where i'm like eh, I, i'm good <laughs> How much more does the O five version adapt? I know it's uh, about fifty episodes, but does it go much further in the story? It has to because uh, at the twi- at episode twenty two, it's also at the Helen Keller arc. Oh, not so what I expected. Co- it covers it covers more 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 plays definitely. Okay, and it supposedly has its own ending. I, I have only reached until the Helen Keller part to have a more fair comparison to the 9080 version for video purposes, but I didn't really want to keep going because it wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't really get into the 2005 version for a lot of reasons, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I, l- like you said, for, for comparison reasons, it's very interesting like if you have the opportunity to do this legendary series again so many choices appear to be anyway we may end up having to talk about that after all or listeners (laughs) if you out there have watched both versions and want to pitch us an article you know could always do that our doors are open (laughs) then i don't have to watch it (laughs) i mean the thing the thing that probably surprises me the more the most is it, the 2005 version feels a little boring in comparison. Like it's so tame. And right then, when there's when there's not the aesthetic element, you are left with nothing to think about but the very yeah. upsetting plot beats. 
Yeah, and the the thing I told you all about Ayumi that for me it works better if you don't show too much the whole genius image. Where well, the 2005 version on the one hand it has too much crying. You know that concept where true acting is when you can act miserable. It it has that. It really uh -huh. has that. It feels like that Wayne's War scene when he when when he starts crying. <laughs> The, uh, and he throws water uh, yeah <laughs> it feels exactly like that and the acting goes on for too long and then Ayumi Ayumi so I don't want to say she was miscast but she sounds so awkward she sounds mm. she just sounds pretentious a lot of time a lot of times and there are lines where she has such awkward pauses that it sounds like so like it sounds like he's reading her lines rather than acting and it's ah, it just breaks the image I don't I mean having not watched it and just kind of scoped some google I will say that her Maya's design is kind of classic no matter what you do but Ayumi's has suffered without the curls like it, yeah, it's not particularly can, striking yeah you can take away her Ojusama looks she's an Ojusama and perhaps most importantly the romance with Masumi is really amplified in this version from the very beginning. There's a part where where he's like, grow up quickly, little girl. And the alarm bells that goes in my head <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> Young girl. Oh, yeah. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. I love talking about multiple adaptations of classic works like this, like what things change for various eras and various creative teams. That's my shit. That's honestly my shit. Yes, I, I mean, there's a reason why I watch all fucking adaptations of Daddy Long Legs. <laughs> I was like, I'm just gonna try the first episode of the anime. And then I watched the whole thing. And then I was like, oh, Mark Bickford did a, ver did a version. And Fred Astaire also did a version. That's a musical. Uh, but the 93rd, and then I watched the Shirley <laughs> Temple version. It's called hyper. It's called hyperfixation, bro. It's cool. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, on the whole, I'm really glad that um, that we ended up doing this podcast. You know, Glass Mask is a series that I'd sort of been aware of for a while in in terms that. I've only I'm only really familiar with with Motohagio. I should probably be expanding my knowledge of classic shoujo, and I guess this is technically available. But I, I always kind of put off getting into it, and even if I think it's decidedly flawed and would be really a lot more difficult than many classic series I'm into to introduce to um, to somebody who isn't already predisposed to liking the era or who isn't watching anime for a historical interest. I'm really glad that I watched it. Yeah, it's definitely one of the shows that that I always like to recommend to anyone who was who wants to watch more shoujo. Like it's one of the biggest classics. And it's also just so entertaining. Like it's easy to get into it if you can ignore the creepy factors. As I said, I've been consistently entertained. Uh, 
I've read just about as much classic shoujo as is out there in English, which is unfortunately not a lot. So it's interesting to see that that style brought into animation. And despite the fact that a lot of you know the studio and a lot of the staff are not necessarily like the most prestigious, how how well they adapted it. Also, I am absolutely convinced I'm going to find a way to uh, convince someone who's big into sports anime to watch this. This is my goal. <laughs> this is my dream. I'm convinced I mean, they would love it. I mean, I mean you're probably correct. <laughs> yeah, I recently, I watched Attack Number 1 very recently, and then I rewatched this, and I definitely share the, the feeling that it feels a lot like both Battle Shonen in a sports anime. Like, the Crimson Goddess feels like a workout in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's very Fist of the North Star. You will receive the title of this art form if you prove yourself worthy. Yeah, like, you have to train to win. I mean, they even, Ayumi and Maya even treat acting like a game to win, in a way. And maybe that's why it's appropriate the show ends on an awards show, because unlike a lot of like sports series acting doesn't have championships it doesn't have tournaments it doesn't have a, a really obvious stopping point where you can point at that and said you have succeeded so the best they can do is you have physical proof that people think you are good at your art yeah and with acting you can't really know the pinnacle of someone's career until it's over I mean we can look back at older actors but we can do that with current actors I mean it's too soon we don't know where we where they will go next it's true like you know you a lot of people think of well well, this actor peaked when they were young but you know some people's most iconic performances are are Christopher Lee and the Wicker Man (laughs) (laughs) yeah like Gloria Sanson was a big silent film star but then she did Sunset Boulevard in the 50s and it's one of her it's the role for her Mm-hmm. Acting's good. There should be more series about acting. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, as someone who's really into classic I s- Hollywood and also into all anime, Glassmas is really my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess there's Skip Beat, but mm-hmm. I guess it's entirely, I guess it's just it's entirely different. And there's Rock well, and more and Kabuki Boo. That's yeah, oh, I haven't yeah. seen I haven't seen the show with Skid Beat, but I have read uh, the manga. I have read a lot of volumes, and it's ent- it's an entirely different vibe. It's entirely different. It's more about idols in a way because it's entertainment business in TV and movies. And I don't know, acting feels sort of like I mean, it has that method acting thing, but sometimes it feels like a superpower or something. The way they get into character. <laughs> Although I definitely like the the protagonist, she's hilarious. It is odd how, I mean, surely some of it is is just what's accessible to us as uh, who don't speak Japanese. But like the for how common the rising young ingenue plot is, how rare stories taking place just as in plain dramatic acting are. I was gonna say. Like you're more likely to get uh, stories about idols or uh, that those sorts of uh, for, uh, art forms when you're when you're talking about rise of stardom stories. Huh. 
Or it's through, done through more, I guess, inherently Japanese forms of theater, like I said, like Rakugo or Kabuki or like Review Starlight with the whole Takarazuka thing. Review Starlight is good. Should have been longer, but good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, I mean, we, you know that there are 50 people typing on their keyboards right now about to recommend a series that we didn't think about, which, you know, good. <laughs> I like recommendations. <laughs> Speaking of idols, I'm just thinking now of Magical Angel, Creepy Mommy, and how little fucks it gave about actually portraying idols. <laughs> like that show, that show had an actual idol who was a newcomer, and that show was promoting her as an idol as well as the actual show, and still no fucks were given at any point. I, I can verify this. Uh, I just recently started watching this. That that show is nuts. It's all very, it's all very fairy tale like, like. You is fucking around, and then she's like, oh, I had to go to work, and you have a music number, a musical number, and then she goes back to her home, and I don't know, suddenly an alien deer appears, and okay, we have adventures now, I suppose. It's, it's weird, and I love it, but <laughs> it's just <laughs> very notable how little facts were given at all I'd definitely point. like to, to talk about more shoujo and magical, classic shoujo and magical girl shows in future. I, I feel like that's something our readers and listeners have asked for and uh, something that I would like to educate myself more on. Yeah. And uh, if, but, mm. Sorry. I just no, wanted to say that if you live in North America, Magical Angel Creamy Mommy is available fucking everywhere right now legally for free. I yeah, think, uh, Retro uh, Crush yeah. has it. Yeah, and a lot of other pages, like, you can watch it for free. It's also on Tubi TV, and Tubi TV also has Fancy Lala, which is sort of a remake of Creamy Mummy by the same studio, but in the late 90s. Hmm. Cool. Alright, uh, did you guys have any last things you wanted to add about Glass Mask before we bring, th- bring it to a close? No, all I just wanted to say is that podcasting, like acting, is a mask fragile as glass. We wear it to hide our true faces. <laughs> Is it just me, or did the subtitlers change ha- halfway th- during the last couple episodes here? Am I hallucinating? That's I don't even remember there. anymore. I don't even. I know feel like it anymore. was different. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners at home, write in and tell me if I am imagining things. <laughs> and in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for joining us for this watch along. As always, we welcome your thoughts, and you know particularly if you want to talk about classic shoujo, other classic shoujo that's available that you'd like us to maybe consider counterfeiting in the future. Um, We'd love to hear about it down in the comments on this post. Uh, If you liked what you heard here, you can find more of our stuff um, written and audio on our website at www.animefeminist.com. And if you really liked what you heard, consider tossing us a dollar a month on patreon.com slash animefeminist. Every little bit really does help us... uh, create new content and make sure everyone is paid fairly for their work it's one of our greatest goals since the sites began to not only make sure everyone is paid but to increase what we what we pay them because we've got a lot of people working really hard to bring the site to you on a day-to-day basis and if you want to find us on social media you can go to facebook.com or uh, we're at anime fem we are on tumblr at anime feminist and we are on twitter at anime feminist thank you so much megan and marion for joining us uh for this adventure and to all of you at home keep on run 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 someday <laughs> <laughs>